Thank you, John. Hey, it is good to be with you and grateful for John, my brother from the same mother, and, and a lot of brothers and sisters from different mothers that are partners in the gospel. Love Tanner. Uh, he, he is a brother that's encouraged me and challenged me uh, personally. And so again, thank you for having me today. I have my wife with me. Liz, raise your hand. I don't get to do this often, but it's a joy to travel with her. Uh, yeah, I love that. Um, We've been married almost 20 years. It's coming December. We have four kids that range from 14, 12, 10, and 8. So we're wide open. Uh, life is full. And so love the opportunity to raise up disciples in the home. I also send you greetings from Crosspoint. Just as you prayed this morning, uh, we pray for you often. We see videos. And I can't say enough that it truly is a joy, uh, a joy to give. Uh, give our money, give our labors. We love sending the best, and, and it, it's, it's a partnership. And, and no, you are partnered with churches all over the United States and literally the world to see the gospel advance. That's why we do this. Uh, we want to be found laboring faithfully until Christ returns, uh, planting churches to the ends of the earth. And so Crosspoint sends their greetings this morning. Uh, we love you. I, and again, I love the Generation Link partnership. It's a joy. I've invested my life uh, literally, uh, with a vision of, of raising up the next generation of laborers. I'm not going to be here one day. And uh, so I am passionate, by God's grace, to see a next generation of disciples that would be making disciples until Jesus returns. I want to be working hard today as if Jesus could return today, and he really could. Uh, so it's a joy through the ministry of Summerlink and uh, sending re residents. And our church is a lot like yours. Our, our church turns over uh, 50 to 75% every couple of years. Uh, half our church is college students. Uh, so it, it's a joy. We, we embrace the opportunity to send laborers to the nations. And that's what you guys are doing here in Boston. Uh, so excited for you, uh, Redemption Hill Church. As you uh, begin to reflect in Daniel chapter 1, we'll have some passages on the screen. Uh, I love this chapter. Uh, we're going to be preaching through Daniel at Crosspoint. So this is, it has, been a, has been good for my soul, just a little preview and studying uh, in Daniel. But uh, you have uh, captivity. You have exile beginning to take place of the southern kingdom. And so you have this high-profile character and some big-time dudes uh, that are seeking to live as believers in a pagan culture. Uh, this exile reminds me of even some modern-day Jews and, and the impact on Jewish cult culture uh, from World War II. I lived in Slovakia, Eastern Europe with my wife. Uh, working uh, for a couple of years with crew, and uh, we, we had the opportunity to uh, tour some of, the, uh, some of the concentration camps outside of Krakow, and you know, many of you have been to Holocaust museums, and you've, we've learned the history and seen some of the visuals. I just want to tell you, it is sobering. It is humbling uh, to walk the grounds where many Jews were taking from their locations, out of their homes. They were put on trains. Uh, they were promised a, a great life somewhere else. But at the end of the day, they were sent to these concentration camps where they were shot, uh, where they were gassed. And yes, uh, these furnaces where they would seek to dispose of the bodies in these horrific places. And I, I remember walking through the concentration camp and uh, there was this room and it was full of hair and they were telling the story of how uh, they would make blankets from the, from the hair that they shaved uh, from these Jews, many Jews that were taken to these concentration camps. Over 20 million lost their lives as a result 
of this situation. And it reminds me, as we dive into Daniel, it reminds me a little bit of, of what's going on with the Jews here. You know, that, in a sense, is what's happening in Daniel chapter 1. Uh, let's go ahead and dive in in Daniel 1, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Let me kind of recap and kind of help you learn what's going on here. It's kind of explicit, but it's really cool. Uh, this, this is the exile of the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom has already been exiled to Assyria. And so this exile took place in three stages. And this first stage is, is where Daniel has found himself. Daniel and his dudes, uh, this first phase in 605 BC. Uh, and then there was a, a, over an 18-year period on two other phases, there was continual exile out of Jerusalem in the southern kingdom to Babylon. Later in 597 B.C., King Jehoiachin was, was taken captive along with Ezekiel. So when you read Ezekiel uh, with thousands of other Jews some years later. And then 18 years later in 587 B.C., the third phase of this exile, uh, you have Zedekiah who was king. And I can imagine this situation. Zedekiah was forced to watch his sons put to death. And then he was blinded and taken off. Jerusalem was ultimately literally destroyed in this first, in this third stage. And so we have the exile uh, from Jerusalem into Babylon taking place. And you ask why? Why was this exile going on? Well, we read in Deuteronomy 28 and other passages that God, uh, God promised that there would be consequences when we break covenant, when we break fellowship with him. So these consequences are taking place, the result of the Lord's judgment of breaking fellowship. And then you have this word Shinar, the land of Shinar. Daniel could have said Babylon. This is really cool when you really ponder it. Uh, Shinar, as we reflect back in Genesis chapter 11, uh, this is the place of the Tower of Babel. So the author here is taking us back, not just to Babylon, but back to the place of the original rebellion against God in the land of Shinar. But what I want you to see as we work through the text this, this morning, there's going to be some great application for us as we seek to live uh, as believers in a pagan culture. But I want you to see the sovereignty of God in the backdrop of this exile, in the backdrop of all this taking place, the text says, the Lord gave. You know, Nebuchadnezzar didn't do it, ultimately. The Lord gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. God is absolutely sovereign. If you don't take anything else away today, take that away. God is absolutely sovereign in all things. And yes, he even uses our sin and our failures uh, to, to prune us and to shape us uh, for, for his glory and our good. God is absolutely sovereign. And Daniel wants us to see that the fall of Jerusalem is not against his sovereign plan. The exile is proof that God's plan has been fulfilled, not 
failed. We go on and read in the text in verses 3 through 7, and, and let's just ask the question, what was Babylon's plan? What was the plan of Babylon in taking uh, these initial Jews in this first stage into exile? And the text tells us, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance, like John Chastain, skillful in all wisdom, like John Reddy, endowed with knowledge and under, understanding learning, like Tanner Turley, and competent to stand in the king's place and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Then the king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king. And among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. And Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered the top dudes, dudes. When we talk about dudes in Clemson, you know, Coach Venables, he's, when he gets a dude, he's our defensive coordinator on the football team, a dude is a five-star, okay? Uh, these were the dudes, all right? Uh, these were good-looking, they were skilled, they were knowledgeable, they were smart, they were from royal and noble families. And it's believed, get this, it's believed that these fellers were somewhere in the range of 15 years old. So as I think of my son that turns 15 years old this September, I think if, if he was hauled off into captivity, and ponder this for a minute, would he be ready? Am I raising my son and my daughters to be ready to be sent off to exile, to live as believers in a pagan culture? Moms, dads. Are we training and discipling our kids to be ready for what's awaiting them in the school system, what's waiting for them in the ball field, uh, you know, what's waiting for them when we send them off to college? They were to be trained for three years in Babylonian University. Uh, they were, King Nebuchadnezzar, his goal was literally to turn them into Babylonians as they learned the literature and the language and as they had opportunity and were forced to eat all the luxuries from the king's table. Nebuchadnezzar was preparing them as servants to literally serve him. I can imagine maybe these young fellers, these people were being trained uh, to, uh, to kind of manage the captivity that was going to be taking place over the next 18 years. The king sought total conformity, total conformity of these young fellers in every way to turn them into Babylonians. How humiliating. It must have been to have your name changed. You know, that might not seem like a big deal as you look at just having a new name, but this name change was significant. I mean, Daniel's name in the Hebrew, it meant God is my judge. And he was, his name was changed to be, O Lady, protect the king. O Lady, the, the God of Baal, protect the king. I think of Hananiah's name, what a, what a name Hananiah's name was. Hananiah's name was God is gracious. And his name was changed to I am very fearful of God. 
You know, you've got Azariah, the Lord is my helper. And his name was changed to servant of the shining one. So their names were changed to worship the heathen God. And, you know, it's not like uh, John Reddy uh, being, maybe having a name saved by grace and, and being called Big Red, servant of the lobster God or something like that, you know. Love you, John. Um, how humiliating and how sobering it, was, it must have been to have been sought to be conformed to this culture. They had, Nebuchadnezzar had attempted to erase their former identity and loyalty to the true sovereign God. They were isolated from family, isolated from friends, isolated from the means of grace like weekly worship and friends and fellowship. Oh, how challenging it must have been. Imagine the pressure. Put yourself there. Imagine the pressure Daniel and his friends must have faced, and will they be ready? Will, will they be ready to stand before King Nebuchadnezzar? But ultimately, will they be found ready to stand before the sovereign God of the universe, the one they're called to worship with a pure heart? We all face similar pressures today, don't we? At work, where we play, where we live, in our school system, uh, we face the pressure to conform to the pagan culture that we live in. And I'm not just picking on your culture. It's my culture. As believers, it's a, this is not our land. We are aliens. We are strangers. So all of culture ultimately is not the culture that we're meant for as believers in Christ. We long for another culture. We long for another land, and that land is called heaven, whom Jesus is preparing a place for those who would lay their life down who would repent and believe and trust in Christ. But as we stop here and as we prepare to move forward in Daniel, I want you to consider, is there an area of my life that I'm being conformed in? Am I isolated? Have I ceased to walk in fellowship with others? Is my worship sporadic? Am I church hopping? Am I falling prey to the culture that I live in? When the heat is turned up, will you be ready? You see, the point as we reflect forward, God empowers us. And that's a key word there. God empowers me. God empowers you. God empowers us to live as believers in a pagan culture as we pursue holiness as we stand firm in what we believe, as we resist the pressure, as we stand together and not alone, and as we seek by God's grace to influence others, to influence a town, to influence a country for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Daniel 1, 8 and following, 8 through 14, let's see what Daniel did and let's reflect how can we live as believers in this pagan culture that we live in. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assign your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? 
so you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the, to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Get this. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Some great truths here as we reflect, as we see Daniel handling the pressure, as we see Daniel pursuing holiness. How can we live as believers in this pagan culture that we live in? Number one, pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. What did Daniel do? Uh, key, key word here, he resolved. He made his mind up. His goal, here's the goal. His goal was holiness. His goal was the holiness of God. He resolved, he made his mind up beforehand what he was not gonna do, to eat from the royal food and the wine of his table. He was convicted. He was living out his convictions. He believed, he resolved that it was sin to partake in this situation. To defile means to become impure. So we asked the question, what, what's up with the king's food and the wine that, that was being offered? Uh, there's a lot of reflection here. Uh, you know, some would say uh, the king was likely offering up food and wine to uh, idol worship. So for Daniel to partake of these items would uh, really be degrading as, as he would eat things that had been offered to idols. Others might say Daniel was really being faithful with his dietary convictions of the laws we see of, of pursuing holiness. And I think there's a lot of truth to to both of those, though wine would not have been against the, the, the rituals and rules. And, you know, some would say if he was offering up food to idols, that also the vegetables would be offered up to idols. I think there's two other thoughts, and maybe there's a combination of all three or four of these. You know, uh, was, was Daniel maybe not partaking because he was, didn't want to indulge himself with the privileges that all those others in captivity were going to be neglected. But I think another thing to ponder is that Daniel ultimately was refusing to be assimilated. He was refusing to be conformed in culture. Yeah, I can learn some literature, I can learn some language, but this was a way for Daniel to not be conformed ultimately and assimilated as a Babylonian. But at the end of the day, we know he was convicted, he was resolved to partake in this situation was to break holiness with God. John McCain, who a uh, former U.S. senator from Arizona who passed away uh, uh, almost a year ago, and this is nothing about politics, but if you know anything about the life of John McCain, uh, you know he was a war hero in the Vietnam War. Uh, he, was, he, he grew up from military royalty, so his dad was a bigwig naval officer. He was known. Uh, but John McCain was not a great student. He graduated fifth from the bottom of his class at the Naval Academy. And so didn't look good for him. But John McCain volunteered for the Vietnam War. And after 23 missions, he was a naval pilot. After 23 missions, he was shot down, broke both arms and a leg, uh, was captured was tortured. They, they didn't allow his wounds to heal, but when they found out who he was, they offered to release him, 
from his captivity as a prisoner. Uh, If he spoke graciously about how he was treated with his other brothers in captivity. John McCain declined. He, uh, Brian Chappell, uh, in a book I read, he quoted and, and said this about John McCain. McCain refused to defile himself by betraying his country and fellow prisoners with such a lie. As a result, John McCain spent five and a half years in solitary confinement. And many say he spent the rest of his life battling uh, the the pain from the injuries uh, that were not allowed to be healed. I want to say this, Daniel refused. He refused to defile himself by betraying his captives and ultimately whatever was going on here by betraying and defiling himself with the sovereign king his creator. I just want to say, don't minimize the risk of holiness. Holiness might not always be painless, easy, or fun. Sometimes it might be tough to take a stand for what's right. But I want to say holiness equals happiness. I have a friend right now. In their marriage, uh, the subtle lie to I'm not happy. And after many years of marriage, the subtle lie to you can almost see where this is going to go because of happiness. Holiness equals happiness. What are you being tempted to compromise in your marriage, at school, at work? Are you being lured by success and power, position, pleasures, security, Maybe the admiration from another person in a relationship. 1 Peter 1, uh, 13 through 16, and this is our meta memo in your bulletin. I love Peter as he reflects here. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Pursue, how do we live as believers in a pagan culture? Uh, The ultimate goal is the pursuit of holiness. Pursuit of holiness because God is holy. Next we see, and I would point out that uh, we would stand firm in what you believe. So if holiness is the goal, is the big picture vision, this would be the idea of thinking rightly. Thinking rightly. So the goal is holiness. Now how must I think as I seek to pursue holiness? Stand firm in what you believe. And so Daniel, how did he handle the situation? You see, resisting the king's food and not obeying the chief officials could have meant slavery for him or even death. The guard, by his reaction, shows us, he's like, dude, I'm going to get my head chopped off if I kind of follow your request. If I don't give you these foods and the drink and you're not fattened up like you're supposed to be, I might lose my head. You see, what did God do? This is another one of those moments where we see God at work. Look at your text. God gave. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. 
Oh, beautiful picture of the sovereignty of God. And I, and I love in this passage, you've got the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, this perfect collision. Our call to pursue holiness, but ultimately, we have a sovereign God, a sovereign God who will take you into exile, and the same God that puts you into exile will be, has the, all the power to, to turn a ruler's ears to listen to grant compassion upon your situation. He changed the heart of the official God did to make sure Daniel and his dudes were taken care of. I love this passage in Proverbs. Proverbs 16, 7. Look at this. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Isn't that cool? You know, but something else we see here is, is we see the demeanor of Daniel. And I think this is important. As we seek to engage culture, we're called as believers uh, to engage it, to, uh, to be gospel lights, right, in a pagan culture. But, but I love how you see the humility of Daniel. He didn't respond harsh, right, with the, with the officials. You can just kind of sense his, his, he wasn't harsh. There was a humble demeanor. He made a request. And, and so I think we can learn a lot from that. Oftentimes in culture, we kind of want to stake a flag and we want to make our stand in a stink. You know, God has not called us to engage culture in that way. God, by God's grace, he's called us to help convert culture. Those win people to Christ by his grace. Be a, be a fragrant offering to those who are looking on to see Christ in us. As we further reflect here, I just want to say, do you trust God like this? Uh, you know, we might be shocked, right? We might be shocked at the faith God would give us to fight temptation if we pursued holiness and resolved in our hearts to pursue holiness like this. God honors faithfulness. He will honor your faithfulness to fight for purity. Don't believe the subtle lie from the enemy the roaring lion that, that says, just partake, just jump in, be all in. Don't believe God. God honors faithfulness. Number three, resist the pressure. Resist the pressure. I, I'm sure it must have been tempting. Think about it. I mean, we see Daniel and we see three, three or four other dudes here, but there was a bunch of others. Imagine the temptation it must have been to partake and to follow the crowd. We see Daniel resisting the pressure. You know, their friends were falling. You know, their decision literally to conform, uh, to not conform could have cost them opportunity, position. I mean, think about it. If they conform, they're, they're, they're going to be working for the king. They're going to have opportunity, position, power, pleasures galore. They resisted the pressure Daniel's faith was confident. He was trusting God that God would provide a way out. And I promise you, brothers and sisters, God does. The texts are clear. They're, and you know what I'm talking about. That, that subtleness, that moment of sin, that moment of falling, you know that way out oftentimes. And we reject it. We see Daniel resisting the pressure. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you. That is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when temptation, 
But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. James 4, 7. I love this one. Simple. Submit yourself to God, right? Resist the devil. And what happens? He will flee from you. Are you resisting the pressure? Pursue holiness. Think right. Act right. Obedience by God's grace. I need his help. I can't do it in the flesh. There's no way. By the Spirit of God, he empowers me to resist the pressure. And as we refuse to disobey, you know, God will prepare us for the things, for the fiery furnace and the lion's den. He will prepare us for those future opportunities to trust him by grace. Number four, stand together. Stand together. Don't stand alone. We see Daniel. Uh, he's got some dudes uh, that, you know, you can change my name, but, man, we are going to walk with you. We are going to, I, I am a child of the king. And Daniel had some dudes. He stood with them. They stayed pure. And, and I just want to say, look out. Who, who are you surrounding yourselves with? You, you always become like the people you're around. You adapt to your environments. I mean, this isn't to say no, don't have non-believing friends. You, you need to have a bunch of them. But you need to have some dudes. Ladies, I, I don't know the right word to give you. Um, sisters or godly women. We need people in our life to encourage us. That's why we need the means of grace of uh, attending and gathering together weekly. You know, to be accountable, be encouraged by the word. Stand together. Uh, Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I have an axe in my office. I'm not trying to shock and awe you, but I do. I have a whip. The guy sent me from India. I love memorabilia. I'm telling you, I got pictures. Uh, tro the, my trophies are people, so I love looking at pictures. Past Summerlink teams, residents, but I have an axe that sits front and center on my desk. It was a groomsman gift, okay, and it's got a, an inscription on it. And, and on that axe is Proverbs 27, 17. And I keep it front and center to, to really remind me of many things, um, uh, not to mention that the guy that gave the axe is my wife's ex-boyfriend, and that's a bit good story. Think about that for a little bit. Uh, it, it is. Um, I was in his wedding. I was in my wife's ex-boyfriend's wedding, and not just that, she was in his wedding. So that, I put it on there to say, man, in Christ, reconciliation is always possible, right? Because in the world, that never happens. No, that acts is there because of that passage, because he's a brother. He's a, we get together with his family once a year with about five to ten other couples. that We have a reunion from folks in college, and, and, and that passage reminds me that I need him in my life. I need Jotty in my life. I need my elders in my life, and they need me, and you need people like that. You need peers. You need mentors because iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. How do you find good friends? Man, put yourself in those environments. If you're not in, you want some friends, put yourself in the environments. You want to be a good friend? Initiate. Seek out peers and mentors and the old man that preached a couple of weeks ago, Don Chastain, 
He's been that in my brother's life. No, he's been that in my life too. 1994, I was um, confronted my, by my dad as a piece of iron. He sharpened me. I was running after the, all the college culture, all the things of that culture. You, I'm not going to use words, but you can, be, you can use your imagination. And I was, I was into it. I wasn't just into it. I was leading it. And my dad found out the lifestyle that I was living. He came to college, and I watched him sit on a beanbag and cried and weeped over the lifestyle that I was running after, over the culture, the pagan culture that I was being conformed by. And my dad began to weep and cry over the sin of my life, and that had a great impact for a little while, for a couple of months, until I literally got to the end of my rope. I was sitting on the front porch of a a frat house, Halloween night, biggest party night of the year, and the Lord just broke me, broke me. I called my dad uh, the next day. I said, Dad, I really want to do it this time. I want to walk with God. I want to I live for him. I want to make a difference, clean slate. And my dad said something very profound. He said, you can't do it. He said, you know what? You tried to do it on your own. If you don't get some dudes in your life, if you don't get in a local church, you can't walk this life alone. You've got to stand with others. Stand together. Resist the pressure. Stand firm what you believe with the ultimate goal of the pursuit of holiness. And then finally, influence others. Influence others. A holy person. A holy person is a powerful tool in the hands of God. A holy person is a powerful tool in the hands of God. Your holiness, our holiness will challenge others. Holiness is contagious. It's contagious. Daniel's holiness, no doubt, impacted the other dudes. Daniel's the one we're kind of looking at, but I have no doubt those other dudes were able to stand firm because of Daniel's holiness. Your holiness will will encourage others to persevere under trial and under hardship. But you know what? Our unholiness can and will lead others astray. I've seen this. We can be some of the greatest Uh, Our our unholiness can be some of the greatest hindrances to the gospel. Holiness. Satan hoped that Daniel would fall and God's covenant people would be wiped out completely. But God's plan was that Daniel would influence a pagan empire so that they would be released. God used Daniel to influence this pagan empire, save his people in order to send a savior Jesus, to save you and to save me and all those who would repent and believe and trust in him alone for salvation and not just that, that God would use you and I to influence nations, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and take that gospel so that people that have never heard, people that you're supporting and people, places where we're going, Right now, there's a team right now in India where they're sharing the gospel and people are coming to faith in Christ by the dozens. Influence others. So think about what happened, the exile. God used Daniel to save a people, but ultimately, God used Daniel in sending a Messiah. Satan's plan is that you would run after the world. God's plan is that you would influence the world. 
We have an opportunity this week with soccer nights and not just with events of mission. We have an opportunity every day where you work, where you live and play to have influence for the gospel. Moms, 15-year-olds, don't, you, you, you remember who we're talking about, 15-year-olds living for the gospel, pursuing holiness, impacting a nation. God can use this church, is using this church, but can and will use this church to do greater things as we pursue holiness, as we resist the pressure, as we think rightly and stand together, you will have influence. So how did God bless their faithfulness? The end of this passage is beautiful. Let's look at it. Daniel 1, 15 through 21. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate of the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave. What's it say? God gave gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams that we're going to see uh, later on in this book of Daniel. It's awesome. And at, at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be with them, that they should, that they should be brought in, the chief of the units brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was like None was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better. What did it say? Ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So, what happened? I mean, I mean, this is I mean, this is some jacked up ten day CrossFit P90X. I mean, they, they must have had protein shakes galore. I mean, God, I can't imagine how these guys in ten days were looking like dudes. I mean, they were looking like dudes, bigger, better than all the rest. And the only explanation is God. <laughs> God did it. God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. God preserved their health and blessed them with spiritual gifts. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it was a miracle that they looked and performed ten times better than all the others. They passed the test. And get, get this, they passed the test, and all those privileges and pleasures, I mean, not, not so much that, but the positions and power, they got those things. They remained faithful. They didn't cut corners they weren't shady. They pursued holiness, and God blessed their faithfulness. God gives understanding, brothers and sisters, and God ultimately uses those who are faithful to him. We all want to be somebody. We all want to have great impact and do great things for God, but there's no path of greatness without holiness. The path to greatness is holiness, ultimately seeking to please God. Every person that's done great things for God, you go read the biographies. Every person, every influencer for the gospel has trusted God, has walked the path of holiness. Jesus' life was this way. He went from test to test all the way to the cross. And in verse 21, 
the very last verse might not jump out at you in all that we've looked at. But the text says, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And what this tells us as we see this place in history, some 70 years later, Daniel's there. Daniel and his friends were used to do great things for God over the next 70 years. And they did, they did continue to face more intense trials. A fiery furnace, a lion's den, but they were faithful in the midst of trials. They believe God was sovereign in the midst of their trials. I know in a room like this, there's trials going on. It could be that marriage. It could be the pressure. It could be work pressure and, you know, cutting corners, cooking the books. You know, I imagine in a room like this, those trials are taking place. Let us be like Daniel and believe that trials are meant to form us, to direct us, and ultimately to build our character. They build and strengthen and shape us for greater obstacles that are waiting ahead in the future. But as we close out this passage, don't get confused. Daniel's a big dude in the Old Testament, along with David and Elijah and Elisha and Moses and many others. But God's the hero of this story. God's the hero. Daniel was there for 70 years, ultimately, like I said before, to, to, to cause them to long for a Messiah, to cause the exiles to be brought back and ultimately to long for a, a Jesus who did come, a Jesus who went to the cross and died, the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, the perfect King Jesus. Do you know Jesus this morning? Do you long for Jesus? As we ponder this storyline, I, I call you, I call you to lay it down. I call you to repent and believe and, and to put your trust in this Jesus that we now know has come to save. Let today be the day. And as we go out this week to influence others, let's let Jesus' name be great on our hearts. And so I call you, I call us to trust in him, to long for him, to long for Jesus' return. And if there's anything that's hindering your ability to pursue holiness, let's put a marker in the sand today. Let your day on the front porch of the frat house be right now. Let's deal with that business before the Lord. And as I pray and as the band comes up, close your eyes and let's just ponder this call from the book of Daniel. Ultimately, a call to the gospel pointing to the ultimate hero, Jesus Christ. Father, we, we pray, I do pray that you would use your word to bring us low, humble us, Father, by your word this morning. I, I pray that even as we leave this room that you would cause it to be heavy on our hearts as we deal with our own sin, as we deal with maybe these trials and difficulties. Father, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that needs to deal with Jesus, that would call upon you, I pray that you would open their eyes to hear, to see Christ, that you would save them. It's simple, just you would humble them in prayer to call upon you for salvation. I pray that you would do your work in this room this morning.
I pray that we would do well to stand together, to be a church, to be an influence for the gospel in this city and ultimately to the nations. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.